Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Captain and Ginger Ale. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a hard cider, and on this week's episode, we are going to look at the murder of one of the biggest rap stars, the notorious B.I.J. This murder happened during the East Coast versus West Coast hip-hop feud, which pit the two sides of the rap genre against each other during the mid-1990s. More specifically, the record label Bad Boy Records, headed by Sean Combs, battled Suge Knight's label Death Row Records. Biggie represented the East Coast along with Craig Mack and Tim Dog. The notorious B.I.G., or Biggie Smalls, was born Christopher Wallace in the Brooklyn borough of New York City, New York, on May 21, 1972. He began rapping as a teenager and recorded a demo tape in March of 1991. Although Wallace reportedly lacked real ambition for the tape, local DJ Mr. C discovered it and promoted it. This led to it being heard by the Source Rap Magazine's editor in 1992. The Source then featured Biggie on their unsigned talent column, and this led to Sean Holmes, who at the time was a A&R executive at Uptown Records, hearing it. Within a year, Holmes was fired, and he started Bad Boy Records with Biggie as an official signee. On September 14, 1994, Biggie released Ready to Die, which was his only album released during his life. In his years of success, during his career, Wallace became involved in the rivalry between the East and West Coast hip-hop scenes with Tupac Shakur, his former friend. In an interview with Vibe magazine in April 1995, while serving time in Clinton Correctional Facility, Shakur accused Uptown Records founder Andre Harrell, Sean Combs, and Wallace of having prior knowledge of a robbery that resulted in him being shot five times and losing thousands of dollars worth of jewelry on the night of November 30th, 1994. Though Wallace and his entourage were in the same Manhattan-based recording studio at the time of the shooting, they denied the accusation. Shakur was shot multiple times in a drive-by shooting in Las Vegas on September 7th, 1996 and died six days later. Rumors of Wallace's involvement in Shakur's murder spread. In a 2002 Los Angeles Times series titled, quote, Who Shot Tupac Shakur? Based on police records and multiple sources, Chuck Phillips reported that the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang, the Southside Crips, to arrange a beating by Shakur hours earlier, and that Wallace had paid for the gun. We will talk more about the death of Tupac in our next episode. Wallace began recording his second studio album, Life After Death, in September 1995, over 18 months in New York City, Trinidad, and Los Angeles. He traveled to Los Angeles, California in February 1997 to promote Life After Death and to film a music video for its lead single, Hypnotize. On March 5th, he gave a radio interview with the doghouse in which he stated that he had hired security because he feared for his safety. On March 7th, Wallace presented an award to Tony Braxton at the 1997 Soul Train Music Awards in LA and was booed by some of the audience. The following evening, March 8th, he attended an after-party hosted by Vibe Magazine and Quest Records at the Peterson Automotive Museum in West Los Angeles. On March 9th, 1997, at 12.30 a.m., 
Wallace left with his entourage and two Chevrolet Suburbans to return to his hotel after the L.A. Fire Department closed the party early because of overcrowding. Wallace traveled in the front passenger seat alongside his associates, Damian D-Rock Butler, junior mafia member Lil Cease, and driver Gregory G-Money Young. Combs traveled in the other vehicle with three bodyguards. The two SUVs were trailed by a Chevrolet Blazer carrying Bad Boy Records Director of Security. By 12.45 a.m., the streets were crowded with people leaving the event. Wallace's SUV stopped at a red light on the corner of Wilshire Boulevard and South Fairfax Avenue, just 50 yards from the museum. A dark-colored 1994-1996 Chevrolet Impala SS pulled up alongside Wallace's SUV. The driver of the Impala, a black male, rolled down his window, drew a 9mm blue steel pistol, and fired at the Suburban. Biggie Smalls was hit four times, and his entourage rushed him to Cedar sinai Medical Center, where doctors performed an emergency thoracotomy, but he was pronounced dead at 1.15 a.m. at the age of 24 years old. His autopsy report was released to the public in December 2012, 15 years after his death. According to the report, three of the four shots were not fatal. The first bullet hit his left forearm and traveled down to his wrist. The second hit him in the back, missing all vital organs and exited through his left shoulder. And the third hit his left thigh and exited through his inner thigh. The fourth bullet was fatal, entering through his right hip and striking several vital organs, including his colon, liver, heart, and the upper lobe of his left lung before stopping in his left shoulder area. No one has ever been charged with Biggie's murder. So let's jump into some theories about his death. Shortly after Biggie's death, Los Angeles Times writer Chuck Phillips and Matt Leap reported that the key suspect in his murder was a member of the Southside Crips, acting out of a personal financial motive rather than on the gang's behalf. Another theory was proposed by Randall Sullivan. In his book Labyrinth, Information was compiled about the murders of Wallace and Shakur based on information provided by retired LAPD detective Russell Poole. In the book, Sullivan accused Suge Knight, a known Bloods affiliate, of conspiring with corrupt LAPD officer David Mack to kill Wallace and Shakur and make both of their deaths appear to be the result of the rap rivalry. The book stated that one of Mack's alleged associates, Amir Muhammad was the hitman who killed Wallace. The theory was based on evidence provided by an informant, Psycho Mike. Retired FBI agent Bill Carson believes this theory as well, stating that the LAPD did everything in their power to protect the cops. Carson wrote down every clue he found in the case and brought his findings to his superiors at the FBI, who allowed him to reopen the investigation. However, Michael Perko, the former deputy chief of the LAPD, shut the investigation down, allegedly telling Carson that they were too low on resources. Carson said he still believes Perko knew more than he let on in regard to the murder case, but Perko vehemently denied his claim. In the 2000 book, The Murder of Biggie Smalls, investigative journalist and author Kathy Scott suggested that Wallace and Shakur's murder might have been the result of the East Coast-West Coast feud and motivated by financial gains for the record companies because the rappers were worth more dead than alive. 
retired LAPD detective Greg Kading, who worked for three years on a gang task force that included the Wallace case, alleges that the rapper was shot by Wardell Pucci Faust, a, a mob pyro gang member and associate of Suge Knight, who died on July 24, 2003, after being shot in the back while riding his motorcycle in Compton. Kading believes Suge Knight hired Pucci via his girlfriend, Teresa Swan, to kill Wallace to avenge the death of Shakur, who Kading alleges was killed under the orders of Sean Hong. Despite numerous leads in this case, it remains unsolved. So, Jenny, what do you think happened to the notorious B.I.J.? To me, I think it's pretty obvious that Suge Knight put out a hit on Biggie, possibly as revenge for Tupac's death. Suge Knight does not have a good reputation, to say the least. He's in jail now for killing someone, and other people have shared how violent he is. I think there definitely was a level of police corruption involved in this, too. The homicide unit was very slow to react, and because of that, they really mishandled the case. We always talk about how bad the LAPD is when ever we mention them but this is just another case of them either not caring or just not truly knowing what the hell they're doing and not having any level of professionalism there's a lot of evidence in my opinion that ties amir muhammad and david mack to biggie's death muhammad matched witness descriptions and was picked out of a lineup and the bullets that were used to kill biggie were very rare and David Mack, this allegedly corrupt police officer, just happened to own those. And he also owned the same type of car that the hitman was seen driving in. So to hear stuff like that is pretty infuriating. And in all honesty, I don't think there's ever going to be justice. I know we're recording this like two days after someone made an unofficial statement about them saying that they think it's Amir Muhammad. And I feel like that person also knows that there's never really going to be justice. It's so strange because Biggie was such a high profile person. And we talk about celebrity culture on this podcast and it seems like celebrities get treated better, but you know, not all the time. And this is definitely one of those cases where it doesn't seem like anyone's rushing to solve it, even though in theory, it should really be solvable. What about you, Del? What do you think? I absolutely agree with you. I think that it is pretty clear that Suge Knight was somehow involved in the death of Biggie Smalls. Now, his motivation for that, I think that it can go several ways. It can definitely be a revenge thing. It could be a financial thing, or it could be a thing of eliminating the competition. Because, you know, you have to think that he lost his biggest person. And so his mindset could have been, well, I now need bad boy records to lose their biggest person i definitely think that the lapd was somehow involved in the cover-up for that i don't think that there's any coincidence that david mack has his hands all over this case allegedly like you said you have the bullets you have the car you have the fact that he was not someone who cared about the rule of law i mean he committed bank robbery He's not a good person, and while I don't think that David Mack 
Suge Knight and Amir Muhammad got together beforehand, I think that they tied up each other's loose ends after the murder was already committed. Another theory that I think could be plausible is that Suge Knight and Sean Combs were working behind the scenes because like Kathy Scott said, Biggie and Tupac were worth a lot more dead than they were alive. So I wouldn't put it past Suge Knight and Diddy to have come up with sort of the perfect murder. I murder your guy, you murder my guy, and we get to reap the rewards of being the benefactors of their death. I really don't want it to be a you know master plan for financial gain, but I also don't think I can fully roll that out. And I guess to comment as well on that theory, um, Diddy came out with that song too after um, Biggie died, the I'll Be Missing You. So he profited in that way as well. You know, I would really hope that he's not low enough to murder his friend for financial gain. But I had heard there were rumors that Biggie was maybe going to leave Bad Boy Records, um, that there was like some animosity between them. I've heard that the hit was actually meant for Diddy and they accidentally killed Biggie. Do you think that could be plausible at all, Del? I definitely think that that could be a plausible thing. Diddy was able to accumulate a lot of enemies and people have always criticized his business practices and how they claim that he takes advantage of other people. So I definitely don't think that it's a theory that can be ruled out. My only problem is if you were intending to kill Diddy, how did Biggie end up dying? They weren't in the same car. Besides being dark-skinned Black men, they don't have the same physical appearance. So how was it that you shot Biggie instead of Diddy? There was no indication that there was like a last-minute switch in cars and, you know, you just had a license plate. You knew who you were hitting when you were hitting them. So while I don't think that it can be completely ruled out, I just don't see it being one of the most plausible theories, especially since they didn't try again. So if your aim was to kill Diddy, you would think that you would hear other stories about attempts on Diddy's life, which I haven't heard any of those type of stories. As we stated earlier, Biggie's death came during the infamous East Coast versus West Coast rap beef that pitted the two coasts against each other. The beginning can be linked to the hostility over the West Coast gaining popularity and notoriety from an art that originated in the East. In 1991, disgruntled by the record company's rejection of East Coast artists in favor of the West Coast ones, Bronx rapper Tim Dog decided to voice his anger on the infamous song Fuck Compton. It contains shots at the entire Los Angeles rap scene, particularly the members of NWA, and had a music video containing violent gestures towards Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, and DJ Quick lookalike. The song received many responses, with the most notable being Fuck With Dre Day and Everybody Celebrating by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. In August of 1995, Death Row CEO Suge Knight took a shot at Bad Boy Records and Sean Combs at that year's Source Awards, announcing to the assembly of artists and industry figures, quote, any artists out here that want to be an artist and stay a star and don't have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the records, dancing, come to death row, end quote. 
It was a direct reference to Cone's tendency to ad-lib on his artist's songs and appear dancing in their videos, with the ceremony being held in New York to the audience Knight's comments appeared to be an attack on the entire East Coast hip-hop scene and resulted in many boos from the crowd. Tensions were further escalated with the release of the Dog Pound's music video for their song New York, New York, which featured a gigantic Snoop Dogg destroying various New York buildings. It was interpreted by many as a direct insult towards New York and the East Coast, although the song itself does not feature any disses. The Dog Pound was allegedly even shot at while making the video in New York City. On September 22, 1996, a peace summit was convened at Moss Merriam by Louis Farrakhan in the wake of the murder of Tupac Shakur and another after the shooting of Biggie Smalls. Beefing has been a part of rap music since the beginning. Beef is simply described as a disagreement between people and rappers who have taken to using their music to express their displeasure with others. This has, of course, spilled out into other musicians' genres and can be seen anywhere famous people compete with one another for attention. And we've got some examples. So the first is Jay-Z versus Nas. On 2000's My Mind Right, the Jay-Z protege Memphis Bleak raps, Your life's a lie, but here's the truth. You ain't hyped to die, but you hyped to shoot. The insult seemed directed at Nas, who responded to both Bleak and Jay-Z in subliminals on mixtape tracks. Jay escalated the conflict on 2001's The Takeover, calling Nas quote-unquote lame and dissecting his entire catalog piece by piece. Nas responded with Ether, which opens pretty bluntly, fuck Jay-Z. This prompted Jay to respond with Super Ugly, where he gleefully admitted to have been sleeping with Nas's baby's mother. Another infamous rap feud was 50 Cent from G-Unit versus Ja Rule and Murder, Inc. This started when an associate of 50's tried to steal Ja's jewelry, which in turn led to 50 being stabbed at New York's club Hit Factory. 50 set to dismantling Jaws' career, starting with mixtape tracks including Life's on the Line, I Smell Pussy, and Skit's Jaw Rule duets, where he mimics Jaws' gravel voice singing over pop songs and videos like Wanksta. Jaw responded with Blood in My Eye. His team then allegedly left bullet holes in the violator management offices where 50's reps worked. So, female rappers are not immune from the lore of being involved in beef, and one of the most prominent has been Nicki Minaj versus Cardi B. After Cardi dropped a one-minute freestyle on Instagram, a fan captured a screenshot which appeared to show Nicki liking a comment that read, dumbass bars. Nicki then seemingly dissed Cardi by rapping, quote, I heard these labels trying to make another one. Everything you get in Little Ho is because of me, end quote on the freestyle no flag. Cardi responded with, can you stop with all the subs, bitch? I ain't Jared, on a G-Eazy freestyle. Nicki Minaj then gave Cardi B some backhanded advice while on her own platform, Queen Radio. She said, quote, to me, she may have taken an issue with things that I've said, but I'm not gonna bite my tongue. You gotta have thick skin. People talk shit about me all the time. You can't expect to be liked and loved and praised all the fucking time. Give me a break, end quote. 
Cardi B reportedly got into a physical altercation with Nicki Minaj at Harper Bazaar's party during New York Fashion Week. According to TMZ, Cardi B approached Nicki Minaj's table aiming to resolve their issues. However, after being elbowed in the face, Cardi then attempted to fight and also throw a shoe in the melee. It later came out that a former friend of Nicki Minaj, Ra Ali, had allegedly been the one that elbowed Cardi B. In a series of explosive Instagram videos, Cardi accused Nicki of lying about everything from endorsement deals and musical collaborations to false claims of Cardi using payola. And payola is simply when artists pay to get their songs on the radio. Nikki responded on Twitter before the pair called a temporary truce. And like we had mentioned, this sometimes spills into other genres of music. And one of the most notable was the pop princess rivalry between Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. And this rivalry was more so fans of pop music pitting the two teen stars against each other. Their debut albums were released seven months apart, and the comparison started from the beginning. They were often compared to Pepsi and Coke. Britney even had a Pepsi sponsorship, and Christina had one from Coke. They really deviated from each other with their following albums, with Britney pretty much staying within the realm of pop music, and Christina taking a more adult R&B route. In terms of success, Britney is definitely the more popular artist, but Christina is widely considered the better singer with a more robust vocal range. And just to touch on some Hollywood type feuds, you had Sarah Jessica Parker versus Kim Cattrall. They both starred in Sex and the City and apparently there was a lot of issues going on in the back. You had David Letterman versus Jay Leno. Their rivalry stemmed for the fact that both of them were up to be the replacement for Johnny Carson when he retired. Jay Leno ended up getting that spot and David Letterman went to another channel. They battled each other until they both retired. And this type of rivalry has continued on with late night shows, but it definitely doesn't have the air of bad blood that existed between David Letterman and Jay Leno. Another more recent one is Vin Diesel versus The Rock. Apparently, the actors had a lot of beef on the Fast and Furious set, and people perceived that The Rock was always throwing subliminals at Vin Diesel, and The Rock even stated after he wrapped up filming that you definitely have to be careful who you're working with, and that not everyone is always there for you, and he ended up thinking everyone that he starred with except for Vin Diesel. And... You know, models can be known as being catty, but definitely the rivalry between Tyra Banks and Naomi Campbell is probably the most well-known rivalry between models. It all started because Tyra thought that Naomi was not as welcoming as she should have been when Tyra became an official supermodel. Naomi has stated that Tyra lacked respect. And they really haven't seen eye to eye since then, though they did have a brief moment of being okay with each other when Naomi Campbell appeared on Tyra Banks' show. But since then, they've been seen throwing shots at one another, so it's really unclear where they stand. And sometimes the rivalry is between producers and the actors. So Shonda Rhimes and Katherine Heigl have beef with each other when Katherine starred in Shonda's show, Grey's Anatomy. And this actually led to Heigl leaving the show. And it went as far as 
she went out and said that she didn't want to be nominated for an Emmy because she didn't think that the writing was good enough for her to be nominated. So Jenny, what are some of your favorite celebrity beefs? I like a few of the ones that we mentioned, um, the David Letterman and Jay Leto feud. I actually didn't know that they had a feud until recently. I knew about the Jay Leno Conan O'Brien feud and for anyone that doesn't know Conan O'Brien is another talk show host and Jay Leno essentially retired and Conan got his show and then Jay Leno was like you know I actually don't want to retire anymore and came back and took the show from him. I think Conan O'Brien is so funny he's called him the devil like subtly he's called him the devil a few times which I love. I think that Conan and David Letterman definitely came out on top of this. I feel like a lot of people are kind of looking at Jay Leno from a 2021 lens and realizing that he was definitely a jerk. And we've talked about him, you know, not being the classiest guy to people like Lorena Bobbitt. I think Elton John and Madonna's feud is very funny. I feel like it kind of has come out of nowhere. I know it's been going on for a while, but I feel like Elton John doesn't really have a solid reason he doesn't like Madonna. An aspect of this feud that I think is funny is in 2004 when Elton John won a Q award and when he accepted it, he said, Madonna, best live act, fuck off, since when has lip syncing been live? So that's pretty shady, I think. He's also called her out for being um, not so nice to Lady Gaga and I know I'm a Lady Gaga fan though. I like Madonna as well, but I just don't feel, you know, a connection to her the way I do Lady Gaga or Elton John for that matter. He's called her tour a disaster and he really has like gone on with this lip syncing thing. I think Madonna really takes this graciously and she just says like, oh yeah, he doesn't really like me. And she just kind of acknowledges it and keeps it moving, which I definitely admire. I feel like when you talk about feuds, you got to talk about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis too. I will say, I don't know how much of their feud was true. I feel like a lot of it was probably fabricated, but also I think they were really pitted against each other by scumbag Hollywood producers of the time. For anyone that doesn't know, they are classic old Hollywood actresses. They were like the best of the best at the time and just kind of like Britney and Christina, they were pitted against each other. And I have heard that it started with a man, which makes me sad, but I understand that. But another really silly, stupid feud. Del, I'm sure you remember the feud between Drake Bell and Justin Bieber. Drake Bell was really just being jealous and he was constantly tweeting things about Justin Bieber like not having talent and Justin Bieber's fans were very I'll say nasty you know they would definitely threaten people and that's a cute thing to do Um, and they would be so hateful to Drake Bell and he didn't deserve it but it was just really funny but Drake Bell would then go and really provoke them. Justin Bieber has not really like directly commented on what Drake Bell has said which you know maybe that's the high road he should also be telling his fans that you shouldn't be sending death threats to people but just to give people you know some idea of what Drake Bell would say this is one tweet he said quote I love when believers say they loved me on Drake and Josh but what happened to the old Drake um Drake Parker hates pop music and would hate Justin Bieber hello and he posted this and then deleted it he also posted and deleted a not very nice thing saying this is a boy and i guess it's a picture of justin bieber and then he also said just came up with a new game 
Miley Cyrus or Justin Bieber. And again, he posted this and then deleted it. So I guess he's not going to stand by what he's proudly tweeting out. There was also, I would say, the ultimate shady moment. Drake Bell was having like a record release party. And then Justin Bieber ended up having like a birthday party. The parties might have been reversed, but you guys get the idea. They were having parties across the street from each other at one point. And you can imagine who was at Justin Bieber's party, you know, everyone and their mom and little old Drake Bell had like three people at his party. Tell, tell me about your favorite celebrity beefs. I know you've got some. Absolutely. So I think I want to start with Taylor Swift versus Kanye West because this is one of the weirdest beefs. And of course, it started at the VMAs in 2009 with Kanye deciding that he wanted to jump on stage while Taylor was accepting an award and said the infamous line of, I'ma let you finish, and then started praising Beyonce, who is an amazing artist, but it wasn't Beyonce's time, it was Taylor's time. And then apparently years after that, they were going to be friends, and Kanye was saying that he was going to make some music with Taylor Swift, and that he had told Ryan Seacrest, quote, she wants to get in the studio and we're definitely going to go in, end quote. But of course, things turned sour in 2016 when Kanye released his track Famous and it included a line about Taylor Swift that said, quote, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous, end quote. And of course, Taylor came out and publicly denounced the lyrics. But of course, Kim Kardashian jumped in to save Kanye, and she posted several videos on social media that apparently showed that Swift and West had talked about the song and that allegedly showed Swift approved the lyrics. And this caused a lot of people to go ask Taylor, but then more recordings came out and it showed that he had said something vague about the type of lyrics that he was going to say. And never in that original approval, so to speak, did he say that he was going to call her a bitch. And then she said that was okay. And that was one of her main gripes with how she was mentioned is the fact that he called her a bitch, which I can definitely understand. No one wants to be called a bitch. But Taylor Swift, of course, has tons of different beefs. And another one of hers that stands out is her beef with Katy Perry. They were friends in the late 2000s, especially when they were coming up, and they even used the same dancers on their tours. The rivalry broke out because there was some background dancers that they both wanted and they were both going on tour at the same time. And Swift accused Katie of sabotaging her tour. She said, quote, she basically tried to sabotage an entire arena tour. She tried to hire a bunch of people out from under me. And I'm surprisingly non-confrontational. You would not believe how much I hate conflict end quote. And then she continued saying that she was just trying to avoid her. It then got into the musical realm because Taylor Swift released Bad Blood, which took a very clear aim at Katy Perry in 2014. And while at first Katy tried to take the high road, telling Entertainment Weekly that, quote, when women come together and they decide to unite, the world is going to be a better place, end quote. 
that sentiment did not last that long because she took her own stab at Taylor with the song Swish Swish. The drama continued for a little bit after that, but recently they have ended their rivalry. It was a really cute and interesting way that they ended their rivalry because Katie actually sent Taylor an olive branch. And I thought that was so creative and a great way of breaking the ice and breaking the tension. And of course, Taylor did accept that. And while I don't think that they're going to be making music together anytime soon, it's definitely good to see that they have repaired a friendship that they once had. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and let us know in the comments what you think about Biggie Smalls and the bi-coastal war that contributed to his death. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on Tupac Shakur and how his death is intrinsically tied to Biggie's. As always, stay safe.